Sun Life Community Church came into being as the result of a compelling vision for a different kind of church, interested in what we call the Sun Life, experiencing and sharing the life of God's Son. Perhaps your heart is burdened these days. We invite you to allow the Word of God through the words of this message to bring rest to your soul and joy to your heart. Here's the scripture today. James chapter 4, several verses, verses 13 to 16. James, writing to people that were not right there in front of him for the church of Jerusalem had been scattered by persecution through the provinces of the Roman Empire, and he's now writing to them instructions. And sometimes we read these things and we guess somebody had said, James, we got trouble over here. James, some of the believers from the Jerusalem church that know you well and see you as their chief elder, they've gotten involved in some things that are are really not honoring to the Lord. And James, if you could just give them a word. So he's been working through that. See what life challenge comes to you just as concept as we read this scripture. He says, James chapter 4, verse 13, Now listen. Now listen. And then he identifies a particular group of his readers that he really wants to pay attention to what he says. He says, now listen. You who say, tomorrow, today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. He says, you. You who might say such a thing. You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You're like a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead of what he just said they said, instead of that, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast and brag, All such boasting is evil. Heavenly Father, these are words your Holy Spirit gave to James to declare to a needy group of people in his day. And Father, there are similar needs in our day, perhaps right within some of our hearts today that need to hear this particular word of God which has not lost any of its impact over the centuries. It carries as much truth. It can carry just as much rebuke. It can carry just as much insight as it did then. So, Father, don't let anything get in the way of us receiving what your Spirit would give us today. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We've read the scripture. The word now that I've chosen to identify the life challenge that James describes in this passage is the word presumption. Presumption. In a word, if we don't learn how to handle this thing, it will handle us. So here's the first key concept I'd share with you today. Key concept one, presumption And I know some of you are sitting there saying, what is that? 
What exactly is that? Well, we'll get to that. But here's what we're going to say right off the bat. Presumption will sidetrack our progress toward perfection. So it's a thing that will hinder our growth in grace. It's a thing that will stop us from moving on to being a mature believer in Jesus Christ. Not a sinlessly perfect person, but a person who's becoming complete, mature, God's finished product in this world. Presumption will sidetrack our progress toward perfection. So what is it? Well, here's a a bit of a definition that I've worked out after consulting with uh, Mr. Webster and his fine dictionary. Here's the definition I'd share with you, presumption. It's absolute confidence. Sounds good so far. Presumption. Absolute confidence based on less than absolute evidence. Hmm. A person declaring a thing to be true that he can't really back up. A thing that somebody is anticipating might happen in their life that he has eh, really pretty vague support for it actually happening. But he is confident. You see, a presumptuous person, because they're so confident, a presumptuous person easily becomes an arrogant person, a cocky person, a boastful, prideful person. Presumption reveals itself in these two little words, I will. Now, in James' passage, he made it a plural. He talked to people who were saying, we will group of people together, banded together to do a thing, we will. So in verse 13 is where we find that. James says, now listen, you, and that's you plural, who say today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, and carry on business and make money. As we read through there, there's at least four presumptive statements. Presumptive Elements, we could say, in that short declaration. And so I'll just fill out the verse a little bit so you can see each one of them. Today or tomorrow, we will go to this or that city, and we will spend a year there, and we will carry on business, and we will make money. Now, not one of those four is a guarantee. Is it? The whole statement is presumptuous. The speaker is expressing absolute confidence. We will, we will, we will, we will. You just watch and see, he could say. A year from now, we'll come back to town loaded down with so much money that that, uh, you'll wonder why you didn't go with us. Why didn't you buy the same stock I was selling? Why didn't you get involved with the thing I was getting involved in? Absolute confidence that's absolutely based or obviously based upon far less than absolute evidence. Now, before we proceed any further, let me share with you two biblical examples 
the two key ones of presumption. The first one is Satan himself. It's recorded in Isaiah chapter 14, verses 13 and 14. And almost all Bible scholars agree this is the prophet Isaiah revealing to us in this passage that took place during his lifespan, revealing to us what Satan himself, though he doesn't use Satan's name, what Satan himself ultimately was motivated by, the point of view that he adopted that led to his casting out of heaven. Here's what he says. I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly, on the utmost heights of the sacred mountain. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. That's quite a boast. Satan sounded pretty confident there. Going to do it. Going to do it. Going to do it. Just watch me. Pretty soon you'll be bowing down not only to the Most High, but you'll be bowing down to me too. I'm going to be just like him. Worthy of all the things he's worthy of. Well, how did that work out for Satan? Not too good. It doesn't matter how many I wills you put in front of something. It doesn't guarantee it's going to happen, does it? It just shows what's in your heart. Here's the answer Satan received from the Lord. Isaiah gave it in verse 15 of chapter 14. Isaiah says, you are brought down to the depths of the pit. You are brought down, you who I will, I will, I will. God thundered out a you won't. You are brought down from what you acknowledged. You're even brought down from the previous position you held that I gave you. And you're brought down to the pit. In the book of Revelation, it's called the bottomless pit. And eventually, Satan and all those belonging to him will be there forever and ever and ever. Satan himself. You could say that's where presumption was born in his heart. But then how to get into the human race? Well, the second example we have biblically is Eve herself, found in Genesis chapter 3, verse 6, where Satan comes and, and tempts her. And it's because Eve fell under the spell of presumption that she and Adam fell into sin. Genesis chapter 3 reveals to us the actions that she took. I'm just going to put some words in her mouth to get the presumptive statement that came from a presumptive attitude that she had. Eve could have well said in Genesis chapter 3, verse 6, as a result of eating this forbidden fruit, because the devil said, eat this, eat this, she says, God says we can't eat that. That's the one fruit we can't eat. He says, eat it because God knows 
how marvelously good it is, how it will change you to even become more like him. So we can imagine Eve thinking, if not saying right out loud, as a result of eating this forbidden truth, I will become like God. And I will be so much better off. And it didn't work out as she presumed, did it? She and Adam lost everything. They lost their home, their happiness, their unending life, their unique sinless relationship with God. They failed to handle the temptation called presumption. Wow, here's what's going to happen. If we do a certain thing, I can see it. I can taste it almost before I taste it. And I want it. Because there's a, there's a, a thing operating in me that allows me to see things that I want. And I know if I do these things, this thing will happen. I will be like God. My life will be far better than it was before. That's what the temptation called presumption presents before us, and they, Adam and Eve, suffered terrible consequences. We are some of their consequences. Down through all these centuries, 4,000 or more years, if Adam and Eve could have foreseen how many millions of rebellious, sinful, human beings there would be on this planet because of that simple action they took. You see, when Eve took that fruit, not only did her life not become better, but every single human being who would ever live, their lives became worse. They became susceptible to the same kind of thinking the same kind of process, the same kind of looking into the future and concluding things that they have no evidence to conclude. But they follow them anyway. And they brag about them. And so having seen those two particular examples, I hope this morning we're ready to accept what I'm calling key concept two, becoming presumptuous is both foolish and dangerous. And you know, I don't have to tell you, you know this problem comes pretty naturally to us human beings. How early does a child start saying, I will? Imagining things as they're going to be and they, they tell you, they announce to you, and you, with your greater wisdom, your greater life expectations, says, well, I'll wait to see that. Maybe that'll happen. Maybe that won't happen. Should I be the guy to pop his bubble? Or should we just let him go on? I will. Becoming presumptuous, allowing that mindset 
to take us over is both foolish and dangerous. So I'll point out, first of all today, it's foolish because it, that is presumption, doesn't square with reality. The point is, presumption always assumes that tomorrow will be like today and that everything that's a given today will be a given tomorrow. So then we can form certain conclusions about our own future because we know what our present is. James says you can't look at life that way. Well, it worked yesterday. Have any of you ever gotten in the mail some big, you know, from some financial person, stock advice. And here is a stock that is going right through the ceiling, and they have a a graph with an arrow, basically says it's already gone through the ceiling, so you're too late, but they don't point that out. You know, it's already up there. It's just going to keep right on going, keep right on going, keep right on going. They get you all revved up, send your money in, do whatever you might be, and then way at the bottom of the sheet of the announcement, in print almost too small to read, you know what it says? Current activity or past behavior should not be and cannot be taken as predictive of future behavior. It says, well, then why are you selling me the stuff so confidently? It's like a guy says, here's what you need to do, and then the paper says, I wouldn't believe me if I were you. <laughs> but the sell is so, think of the possibility, though, Man, if you could triple your money, quadruple your money. Past behavior does not predict future events. James knew that way, way back in the first century. In verse 14, James says, you know, you've got all these plans. He says, why you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. And now you're telling me what you're going to do a year from now? And how it's all going to work out for you? And maybe even how I should get involved in it with you if the guy's a salesman? He says, why, you don't even know for sure what's going to happen tomorrow. You see, assuming that everything will continue on the way that it is today and building our future plans upon that assumption is really pretty foolish. But those who live presumptuously do just that. They make grand pronouncements about the future that don't necessarily square with reality at all. Now, we Christians are just as prone to that as anybody else. So we need to watch out. We need to be careful that we don't get tied up in our own plans and begin to believe them so, because what happens when they fail? Do we rejoice? Or sometimes are we devastated? And we wonder why God let us down. You see, the presumptuous person and the presumptuous statement always contains a big amount of ego. And and so we say here, secondly, it's foolish, presumption is, 
It's foolish because it inflates our sense of capacity. And isn't it a great feeling when something does that? When we think to ourselves, I can be better than I am. I can be wealthier than I am. I can be smarter than I am. I can be more of a take charge guy than I have been up to this point. My, my capacity is unlimited. Here in the United States, we've made a whole American dream out of that. You can be anything you want to be. Why is that? Because you're an American. And nobody can tell you what you can't do as long as you're not breaking the law. You can be anything you want to be. We even tell children in first, second grade. Is that true? Really? I want to be president of the United States. Well, you can be. I mean, technically, anybody who's a citizen can be, especially when we see who has made it that far. It would seem like anybody could do it. But in reality, only one person at a time can, out of all the millions that we have. However, there is a well-known mantra, a saying, that's trotted out in countless motivational seminars and preserved in any number of motivational books. It's especially well-loved by people in sales organizations where success really is dependent upon great personal effort and determination. It might possibly be nominated for the, uh, the most presumptuous statement of all time. And it goes like this. When I started, probably some of you could say it right along with me. Whatever you can conceive and believe, you can achieve. Whatever you can conceive. I think that was first in the book by Napoleon, uh, what's his name called, Think and Grow Rich, many, many years ago. But it's been, it's been repeated along, and, the, and it's just given as uh, like almost the golden rule of sales. Whatever you can conceive and believe, you can achieve. Now that statement presents man's capacity for achievement as being virtually limitless. It's only limited by your ability to conceive a thing and to truly believe that thing. Now I bet, I won't ask you to raise any hands, but I'll bet some of you right in this room have attended seminars in your lifetime where something like that was being told to you, to motivate you, to encourage you, to say, hey, you guys all bought tickets here coming in, I know, as a bunch of losers. <laughs> but we're going to build you into winners. We're going to build you up mentally, and then we're going to build you up professionally, and we're going to build you up financially. And here's the secret, fellas. First, you just have to conceive it. Can you see yourself being fabulously wealthy? No. <laughs> well, let's work on you a little bit more. You've got to be able to conceive it. Maybe we give you some pen and pencil. Draw a picture of your wealth. Or think of the thing you would buy most first if, you, if money was no object. Oh, it might be that. Years ago, it might have been that Mercedes convertible. 
There's certain organizations that, that uh, the color of the prize is, I think, pink. Just picture it. Put it on your refrigerator. First, you have to conceive it. That's what it is. That's what I want. That's the thing. Now, can you see yourself driving that, owning that, having it in your garage? <sighs> can you? Well, work on it. Work on it. Now, now that you can conceive it, you can almost smell the new car smell. Oh, I one time smelled that. It was my best friend's car. <laughs> can you conceive it? It has to be so real, it's like uh, your, your nostrils are getting excited by it. And now can you believe it? Can you believe that could be yours? Do you believe you deserve it? Because we're going to show you if you really will give yourself to this program. We're showing you how you can achieve the very thing that you're conceiving and that you believe now is possible. And so if you've ever been in a meeting like that, you know how it goes. Who knows? Maybe I kind of excited you just a minute ago there. <laughs> Almost got you going on that. Sometimes I present the other side of arguments and people will say, you know, if you really believe that, I'm out of here. Well, I don't believe that. You know, I'm just telling you that's how it goes. But when you're in the midst of a meeting like that, you can feel virtually invincible. You can be built into a kind of an emotional state where you've never experienced that before, and it feels awesome. And you say, I can do this, I can do this. And in the midst of that emotional rush, you will approach feelings that would rival Eve's in the garden or even Satan's in the heavenly realms. You can feel unstoppable. You feel practically godlike in your ability and capacity to make things happen, and your mind begins to plan. And that's, of course, where presumption and presumptuous behavior stops being simply foolish and becomes actually dangerous. And here's what we get out of what James said. Third thing here, presumption. It's dangerous because it puts us at odds with God. A couple weeks ago, James was warning his people about not becoming enemies of God. He who's a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. It's like, I don't want to be God's enemy. So whatever James is calling friendship with the world, I don't want to have part of my, I don't want to be that guy. Well, here he's saying this kind of behavior, this kind of perspective on life, this kind of way of promoting yourself and other things and anticipating things, it can once again put you at odds with God. Here's how James put it, verse 16. You boast and brag. What I'm going to do, how I'm going to do it. I'm all pumped up and I got my plans laid out. I'm going to work on this and I'm going to make it to that top tier in whatever this is. You boast and brag, and he says, and all such boasting is evil. 
It's evil. And just by nature, we would say, well, I don't see the harm in it. I don't see the harm in getting myself motivated. I don't see the harm in telling somebody else that they need to just make plans and believe in those plans and give their, all their energy to fulfilling those plans because what's the harm in that? Well, James says, and to be proud of it, to talk about it. Let people know. Go on record. Even the salesman will tell you the motivate. Go on record because then that kind of allows other people to know what your plans and they'll hold you accountable for those things. So talk about it. Get it out there. You see it. All such boasting and bragging is evil. It was considered evil when Satan engaged. And so as a result, such presumptuous boasting about our plans for the future puts us at odds with God. And that's not where we want to be, is it? So remember what James wrote in verse 6 of this fourth chapter? He said, now God opposes the proud. Just as a general principle. In Proverbs, it says God hates a proud look. Here, James says God opposes the proud. He will bring the proud down. Now, I don't need to make this observation, I imagine, but let me make it anyway. Just going to say this. Much that is presented as faith today is nothing more than presumption in disguise. When somebody tells you regarding your future, regarding the things you want, the things that you desire to possess, when somebody tells you to, well, just name it and claim it, announce it, absolutely believe it, speak it into existence, live as though you already have it, and in the process of doing all of that, are you not practicing and perhaps even perfecting a presumptive lifestyle? And sad to say, you discover that presumption, whether in secular or sacred enterprises, is both foolish and dangerous. It can trap us into a miry pit, and it halts our progress toward maturity. Laying out our own plans, determining exactly how we're going to get from point A to point B, putting all of our hope, all of our faith, all of our trust in the things that has seemed best to us is both foolish and dangerous. So today's key question is this, how do you handle it? Because that is a natural human tendency, and there are people in this world who prey on that natural human tendency and get you all wrapped up, stirred up. Even preachers can do it to get you putting your ideas right out there until they're all you can think about. And then tell you it's actually a function of the Christian faith to do that and to demonstrate your faith 
as you just believe in it and believe in it and work toward it, confess it, talk about it. And the question is, are you really passing along truth from God and reality from God, or are you just passing along the, the refinement of a, of a human flaw? With you being the one saying, I will, I will, I will, we will. A year from now, two years from now, five minutes from now, this is how our life is going to go. It's a dangerous thing. And it puts us at odds with God. So we don't want to be there. So the question is, how can we avoid getting wrapped up in it? How can we avoid the foolishness of presumption and the danger of it? Well, I'll just say as we close here this morning, four things to remember. Whenever your mind and heart begins to conceive and believe, you know, when you start going down that path and and you just let your mind kind of go and, and you're picturing how your future might be and, and, and what would be the most enjoyable type of future you can imagine and you're conceiving it, you say, by golly, I'm going to work toward that. I want that. I deserve that. When you find yourself heading that way, here's four things to remember. Number one, always remember that life is incredibly unpredictable. James says, verse 14, why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? Why, you're like a mist, a little puff of smoke that appeared for a moment and then it's gone. You see, certainly we need to make plans. We need to be good stewards of the time and the resources that God has given to us but we can never allow ourselves to act as though everything or anything is a done deal. Live humbly. Recognize that you can only see a very limited distance down the road. The things that we might, humanly speaking, be most sure of can change overnight. That's just how life in this world is. That's the reality. Don't pretend some other reality is the one you're living in so that you make your plans and, and you're counting on this being true and this being true and this being true and that being true. And if all of these little ducks you got in line agree to stay in line, then the outcome, you can say, here's where we're going to be. See, none of that is for sure. None of that is for sure. So don't act as though it is. Understand the world that you live in. You see, every day in the paper, some tragic headline or other testifies to the unpredictability of life. So remember that. Life is incredibly unpredictable. Don't act and talk as though it is. And if you run into somebody who is talking as though it is, you just recognize they're out of touch with reality as it is. Second thing, always remember, now this is important for us believers, always remember that God's day-to-day -day will is generally beyond our understanding. So to say, what do you think God's doing here? A good Christian response could be, your guess is as good as mine. 
When some Christian is going to tell you, well, here's what God's doing in this situation. Let me tell you what God's doing in our country right now. Let me tell you what God's doing in, in our family right now or your family right now. Let, let, let me tell you what God's most concerned about right now. You always want to say, and how do you know that? What makes you think that? Did God himself descend from heaven and reveal that to you? And if, you, if he did, then are you claiming you're a prophet declaring such truth to mankind? God's day-to-day -day will is generally beyond our understanding. When I went to Wheaton College, I was just a country rube. Didn't know much. I was just smart enough to get in. But I had no life experience that really prepared me for that kind of a upscale environment. I had no idea who I was going to marry. In fact, there was a time I was a bachelor to the rapture. <laughs> Everything it would take to get from unmarried to married seemed like it was so absolutely beyond anything I even wanted to be involved in. It was easier just to say, hey, I'm like the Apostle Paul. He says, I wish that all of you were like me, just single. Well, you've got to study, you've got to focus on things. Oh, I am glad that none of my thoughts, even when I did have a thought of how would I go about finding a girlfriend, none of them actually grabbed a hold of me, so I never went about doing anything except, except one crazy notion, which really wasn't how to find a girlfriend, it was just how to prove that I had nerve which for some reason seemed to me like a good thing to prove at the time. And that is to pick out the prettiest girl in our class who really wasn't a wild dater. She was there with a lot of the same background. I was there. She was working her way through and, and wasn't dating all over the place. She just happened to be the prettiest girl in the whole thing. And word got around. She was a dairy princess from New Jersey, had actually won a beauty contest and so it was a perfect opportunity for my plan. <laughs> my plan to show that I had nerve, not that I could win somebody's heart. That wasn't even part of it. But to show I had nerve is that I would pick out Linda Spencer and see where she was on campus. When she's walking across campus on a side, I would just arrange to walk the opposite direction, meet her, and when I'm like three feet away from her, I'd look her right in the eye, because that's part of the nerve thing. Look her, not her, not this, look her right in the eye and say, hello, Linda, and keep right on going. You wouldn't find that plan in a book anywhere. <laughs> and, and it really wasn't about how to find a girlfriend. It was about how to achieve some other purpose in my life. But God used that, and within um, a year of that time, we were married. You know, and it's like, huh, I'm glad I didn't really lay out a 12-step plan. You know, all I did is discover I had enough nerve to do that. And then one situation after another, God just put right in front of us where we wound up together without me not doing much of anything about it, except being along for the ride. 
How many of you have gone for a ride with God and found it to be really wonderful? Yeah, you, you wind up in a place you didn't uh, purposely think you were going to wind up, but there you are. And see, what we're doing here is realizing that the way God works is almost never the way we think. So that means don't try to figure it out ahead of time. Because God never thinks the way we think about the day-to-day -day things of our lives. And getting us from point A to point B. Remember, God's day-to-day -day will is generally beyond our understanding. God does have particular plans for our life. And he does anticipate the way that his plans are going to be achieved but he doesn't very often reveal the details of those plans to us. He requires us to live by faith. That means we have faith that he has plans. We're not saying, I've figured it out and I'm believing it's going to happen. No, our faith is in the fact that God has plans. We say, I believe God has a plan for my life. Well, how do I find out God's plan for you? Just live. Stay alive, you'll find out. Although God's plan for your life might be that you enter heaven at a rather early age and, and, uh, and things spin off of that event that you would have never imagined. Our faith is that God does have plans for our life. And we live then by faith and we live humbly just trusting that his Holy Spirit will get us to the right place at the right time to accomplish the right thing according to his plan. And so we don't waste a lot of time trying to figure out the brilliance of how these things will happen. Let me tell you this, more often than not, we will feel like we are walking in the dark. Though we never need to feel that we are walking alone. So more than presuming on the future and feeling like we have it all figured out, we will generally be surprised by the way it unfolds. Because that's the way God is. His thoughts, his ways are higher than our ways. So the more faithfully we walk with the Spirit, the more surely we will get to where God wants us to go. His general will is revealed in the scripture, and we need to know that. What does God generally say is true? What are those things? And we've tried to help ourselves with the, the uh, little nudges and hugs books, six of them that actually convey those general truths regarding the will of God. As the Spirit says to us, Day by day, think about this, think about this. I want you to know God this way. I want you to understand this. None of those daily readings have anything to do with what's going to happen specifically in our life or how we figure that out. But it's telling us how God is. The one that we're trusting is really trustworthy. And the one who is with us is trustworthy. And we relax and just go through life knowing God's big plan and knowing that he will lead us right into the fulfillment of his small plan if we just don't get in the way. 
So number three thing we have here, always remember to view your plans as tentative. Now we do make plans, and we have to. But consider only God's plan to be definitive. James says you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. See, he's still talking to people who are going to say, if we live, if I'm alive a year from now, here's what I'm, I'm planning to do. I'm planning to get out of college, get my degree, do this. I do have plans. I do have purpose as I understand it, but never consider our own plans to be final. Let God have the final plan. And so to remind ourselves to always say, uh, if it's the Lord's will. Years ago, older people used to say this phrase all the time. I haven't heard it much lately, but they'd always say, Lord willing. Hey, let's go down, uh, let's go to the store tomorrow, let's go down to Disneyland, let's do whatever, and the person was, well, Lord willing, I'll, I'll, I'll be there. Lord willing. And whether that just became a phrase that people said or whether it's being said by somebody who truly believes it, it grew originally out of somebody who truly believed it. I'm all for that. Lord willing, I'll be there. But if the Lord doesn't will it, I don't want to be any part of it, of course. So our plans are tentative. His plans are definitive. Number four, always remember... This is tough. Always remember you don't have to know God's will to submit to God's will. If God would just tell me what his will for me is, I would, I would submit to it. No, that, that isn't submission. And that isn't the way God works. Jesus said in the prayer he taught us to pray, to say, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, and to say, that is the attitude of my heart. I'm not making my own plans. I'm not bragging about what I plan to do, what I will, what we will, what can be accomplished. We're just saying we are living, submitted to the will of the Almighty. And we are happily submitted. Truth is, I don't believe you can worship here at Sun Life Community Church very long and ever forget that. That worship, you see, is the whole process by which we surrender ourselves to the Almighty God. And to say His will is what we want to live under. His will for us is what we want to have accomplished. And to worship properly, you can't escape that conclusion. And I'm so glad that that we are able to live in light of that. So our final thought says this, the opposite of presumption is not resignation. Okay, well then I just quit. I won't make any plans at all, just sit here like a bump on the log and let what happens, happens. That isn't, the, that isn't what God wants. The Bible's full of uh, instructions for us to be uh, faithful in what we do and to go about doing our treat other people in certain ways. So the opposite of presumption is not resignation, but I'm going to say it's anticipation. God has a plan. And his plan is, is always perfect and good. And I want that in my life. I don't need to presume and devise my own way 
of bringing joy to my life. I just want God's will to be done in me. And if it is, my life's going to be awesome. It's going to be wonderful. God said to Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the plans I have for you. They are plans to prosper you, not harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. You say, man, that's what I want. God says, that's what I want you to have. Believing that God has plans requires no presumption on our part, for it has been given to us by revelation. Stick in the book. Learn what God says is true for everyone. And as you proceed living the truth that is for everyone, he will work out in your life the specific things that are for you and you alone. And you can confidently rest in him and his Holy Spirit to do that. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you would rescue us from the anxiety of, of trying to be the creator of our own life. We're not made for that. We're not capable of that. You are the creator of all things, and you are the creator of every single born-again child of God. You have put new life into us. You are the creator of your own family. You are the creator of the body of believers on this earth. And Father, we take comfort in that. No creation is being needed by us. We are the creatures. And Father, may we be just so committed to living in a way that honors you and abides by the will that you've already expressed in your word. That we will just know the peace that comes from having the very Spirit of God guide us faithfully day by day from point A to point B. We ask this now. Cleanse us of thoughts and things that have been put into us over the years, even sometimes some foolish Christian teaching that just isn't sound. Father, we yield ourselves anew to you. We want your will in our lives, your kingdom to come in our world, in our lives, and we yield ourselves to it gratefully. Praying now in Jesus' name. We hope this message has inspired you to live the sun life together with us. If you are near Apple Valley, California this weekend, we invite you to join us in person Sunday morning or through our live broadcast. All the details are on our website at sunlifecommunitychurch.com.